together as a church and as individuals where we're going father where we're where you're leading us where you're taking us father let us be directed and led by your spirit today we truly do love you we want it to be more than words we want it to be more than songs in jesus name we thank you amen glad that you're here today we've been in a new season we've been talking about what it looks like in our lives and in our church as we're going into and defining and clarifying the important things that God has set before us, the important things that he has said, listen, this is where we're going as word of grace. This is where I'm wanting to take you as a husband, as a wife, as a man, as a woman, as a mother, as a father, as a son, as a daughter. This is where I'm wanting to take you as a businessman, as a businesswoman, as a professional. This is where I'm wanting to take you. I have a new season. I have something great that I want to do in you and through you. How many of you know that God wants to do something great in Word of Grace, in this local church, and through this church. Amen? Amen. I believe it. I mean, just slap somebody if you believe it. Say, I believe it. (laughs) Just tell them, say, I believe it. You see, we've been talking about the foundation. Does anybody remember the foundation that we're going forth on? Love. Very good. The foundation is love because it's the nature of God. It's who he is. It's not what he does. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. It's his DNA. God is love. And so that has to be the foundation of this new season that God is calling us to embark on. And last week we talked about our values. We talked about our core values and the things that should be important to us as individuals and as a church. And so we said last week that word of grace values, and it's at our very core, that we are called to love God, love people, and serve the world. Can you say that with me this morning? Love God, love people, and serve the world. You see, that's what God is calling us to do. And as we step out into this new season, the title of my message this morning is A New Name. And I want to talk to you a little bit about how we're going to get where God is calling us to go and how we are to be exemplifying these things and some of the character traits that God is wanting us to possess as we move forward. So this morning we're going to talk about a new name. And I want to start off just by saying that we are to be a people and a church of excellence because whenever we're a people in a church of excellence, we're showing others what's important. Whenever you do things with excellence, whenever you do things well, whenever you do things with excellence, you're saying this is valuable. This is important. As a matter of fact, the word excellence in Webster's dictionary means to have valuable quality. Does anybody, uh, have you ever taken your children to someone's house and they have all of these beautiful little ceramic decorations everywhere, and they're just all over the place, and all these real expensive items just sitting out for everyone to look at. And you're a nervous wreck when you take your kids over there because you're going, oh, don't touch anything. Don't even look at it. Because it makes us nervous because they've obviously put these things in these places that, where, where you can tell it's valuable and it's important. It automatically shows you that these things in these people's homes, are, they're valuable, they're important by just simply even where they place them and how they display them. And you can just see where the value is. And it's the same thing with us as a church 
and in our lives that I believe that God is calling us to do is to exemplify excellence to the point to where people see that, that what we believe and what we live for and what we come here every week and do week after week, the things that we do together as a body of Christ, we do it with excellence and they see that it's important and they see that it's valuable. Amen, somebody? As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's a few uh, frames hanging up, one in the kids on the move hall and one right before you come in here and one in this uh, area over here when you enter in the sanctuary. There's these little frames and it has on there what we call our ministry philosophy. And it's basically the way that we believe we are to conduct ourselves here in our church, the things that we value, the things that we say are important to us, our philosophy of ministry. And number 14 on that list says that everything we do is to be done with excellence because it matters and it reflects our perception of Christ. You see, everything we do as word of grace, everything we do in our lives for as far as that goes, needs to be done with that degree of excellence if we want to show that it matters and it's important. And church, I can think of no greater thing that would matter to someone's life than that relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the core of who we are. That is what we're all about is Jesus Christ, about the Son of God who came and died for us. And we're living for him and we're serving him. And it's so important. We talk about the importance of the cross. We talk about the importance of the resurrection. We talk about the importance of Jesus and how he taught us to live. We talk about the importance of his word, but we also need to show it because we can only talk so much. Amen? Amen. You see, we've got to show it and we do that. We show it by being people of excellence because it does matter. And whenever we do things with excellence, it reflects how we perceive and how we view Jesus Christ because it's his church. Amen, somebody. It's his church. It's not Derek Armstrong or anyone else's church. It's his church. We're just here to serve. He's put people in place to, to, to move forward and different things. He's called you here. But let me tell you something. Our perception of him is very important in how we show things. What we say is important, and what we do has to match up. It has to connect. As a matter of fact, I can show you this principle in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Now, here we're seeing in Scripture that we are to be ambassadors or representatives of Christ. You know, whenever our nation has an ambassador over in another country or a representative over in another country, that person is speaking on behalf of our nation. That person is representing every one of us as Americans that person is representing us to that other nation. And it's the same thing that the writer here, Paul, is trying to tell the Corinthian church, and it still rings true to us today. He's saying, we are ambassadors. Look at somebody and say, you are an ambassador for Christ. Now, look back at yourself and say, I am an ambassador for Christ. You see, that means I'm a representative. I'm his representative, not just here in the United States, not just in Wisconsin, not just in Sheboygan County. I'm his representative to the world. 
I'm an ambassador here. And so my perception of Christ and how important and how valuable I say he is and how much I get excited about the importance of Christ and the importance of his church and the importance of what he's called me to do and the kind of life he wants me to live, what I say has got to match up with what I do. And that's where excellence steps in. We begin to see what is really important We begin to see by what we put our time in, what we are willing to invest in, by what we're willing to step out and do, we begin to see excellence displayed. Now, we do what we do here at our church at Word of Grace for people. This is what we we come here, we minister, we, we, we love each other, we care for one another because God cares about people. We love people, we don't love programs, amen? We have programs to reach people, but we love people more than programs. We serve people and not systems that we have set in place. We do what we do as a church and as Christians to make a lasting impact on the lives of people. We're called to love God. We're called to love people. And what else? Serve the world. And for us to be the church and the people God is calling us to in this new season, we must be a church and a people of excellence. Amen, somebody? Now, here's the thing. We're going to get into this today. This is your first point. I want you to write this down. One of the processes that people go through in life is redefining. There's two words in there that we really don't like, and one of those words is process. The other is redefining. We don't like either one of those words because we like instantaneous everything right now. We wanted it five minutes ago. Where's my double cheeseburger, right? You're making me pull up to wait on my McNuggets into one of the little special lanes? How dare you? I wanted those things five minutes ago. And we get really impatient. We get really uh, looking for things to happen on our schedule, our way, our time, instantaneous. But there's a process that people go through in life, and that process is redefining. You see, we're told from a very young age what certain things are real and why you know, certain things are the way they are. But as we grow older, we learn to experience and learn things for ourselves. And then a lot of times we'll get a new definition of, the lo- of, of a lot of the things that we thought when we were younger. And here's what happens. A lot of times it's not those things that change, it's our perception of those things. You see, it's our perception. So we gain perception as we get older and go through life. I remember going to my great-grandmother's house. This is one of the earliest memories that I have. I, I think I was probably about three or four. I can recall just vaguely her house. She lived in Mississippi in some little, I think it was called Coldwater, Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, <laughs> that's where she lived. And it's, it was a tiny little town, and she had a little trailer. And, and my mom and my sister and I went to go see my great-grandmother. And one of the things I remember at her house that she had, here I am, three, four years old, she had this blue stuffed bunny. And I mean, whenever I was three, four years old, I thought this thing was humongous. It was a blue stuffed Easter bunny and it was just massive and I was just blown away at the size of this as a little guy. And then we went back the next year whenever I was four years old and you know what happened? The bunny shrank. <laughs> and then we went back again to visit my grandmother. That was the one of the last times I saw my great-grandmother when, she, when I was seven years old. We took a trip out there and I said, do you still have that bunny? Because I remembered that from whenever I was a little guy. And she said, oh yeah, nothing was this big. <laughs> I asked her, I said, where's that giant bunny you have? I remember. That was the only memory I had of going to great-grandma's house was this giant bunny. Now, either the bunny shrank or my perception changed. 
You see, a lot of times as we grow older, we gain perspective. We begin to see things differently in a different light. You see, my experience redefined my perspective. And let me show you this here in Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about this. In verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. He said, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But whenever I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of all these is love. You see, here's the thing. He's talking about these things are always going to abide, this faith, hope, and love. These things are always going to be around. He said these things are the most important things. He said the greatest of these is love. Let me, let me explain something to you here. These absolutes that he's defining for us, he said, are never going to change. But what is going to change is going to be your perspective on these things. It's, you understand these things a little bit. You get it a little bit. You, you, you see through this, this glass kind of dimly. But whenever you see Jesus face to face, you're going to understand it fully. So it's a growth, it's a process, it's a redefining of me gaining perspective on what God is telling me, on these absolutes. The absolutes don't change, the truth doesn't change, thank God, amen? The truth doesn't change, the truth remains. Jesus is the truth, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by him. His word is forever settled, it is forever true, but what changes, his word or me? Me. My perspective changes as I gain understanding. You see, the truth is, folks, is that God is good. The truth is, is that the Christian life is the best life. Amen, somebody? The truth is, is that church is essential to our maturity and our growth and our fellowship with other believers. But here's the thing that you and I oftentimes see, is that negative experiences can often alter our perspective. A lot of times, those negative things that happen in our lives, those negative experiences will change and alter our perspective. Even though the truth is, is that God is still good. He's still on the throne. Jesus is still the King of kings and Lord of lords. The truth is, is that church is still a great place for God's family to connect and to fellowship and grow together. The truth is, is that God has set you free. The truth is, is that his word is forever settled. And that hasn't changed. But when we have a negative experience, it can alter the way that we see it. And it can change the way that you and I trust and believe God. That's what negative experiences can do. The truth hasn't changed, but the way you receive, the way you perceive his truth has changed because of experiences. You see, here's the deal. People have been burned by pastors. They've been burned by church. They've seen two-faced Christians. They've heard gossip. They've been lied to. They've seen scandal. They've seen even how sometimes sloppy, last-minute, organized things can be. And when they see that, they don't see the valuable quality. And you see, those negative experiences can alter their perspective. Even though it's supposed to be this way, a negative experience can alter perspective. I remember whenever we went to a church in Texas that we were visiting at, we had just moved to Texas, and we were getting a feel for the area. We were actually there to plant a church, but that was about three months away before we did that. So in the meantime, we thought we would check out some of the local churches. And so we began to visit churches. And let me tell you, if it is your first time here today, I understand how you feel. 
Because that's a strange feeling, being that first-time guest, that first-time visitor at a church. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Isn't, isn't that a weird feeling? Isn't that a weird feeling? Sometimes you just, you, you're there and, and you're enjoying the worship, you enjoy the service, but at the same time it's all new and you don't know what's going to happen and you, know, you don't know exactly what their structure is, you don't know how the service is going to go, you have it in your mind of how it's kind of supposed to go. Well, we went into this church, it was, a, it, it was on a Wednesday night, and uh, we had uh, one of the ladies with us that moved from Oklahoma with us to help us plant this church. And we also had my wife and our uh, probably at the time 15-month-old son, and my wife was pregnant. And so here we walk into this church, and we've got, these, we've got this baby. I've got my wife who's pregnant. And we've our first time coming in the door, and nobody spoke to us at all. And here we are, and, and, and we're looking for somebody because we're wondering where the nursery is. And we're, we're looking around, and, and we begin to see that there are no other younger people in the church with babies or anything. We're the only ones there. It was mainly older people. And so we went looking around, and we finally grabbed somebody that looked kind of like they were in charge, and we tapped them on the shoulder, and we said, excuse me, ma'am, um, could you tell us where the nursery is? And they said, oh, we don't have a nursery. And this is a church of about 150 people. And I'm going, you don't have a nurse. I said, well, what are we supposed to do? With our well, we have this room over here in the back. And it was this closed off room that has this little viewing window where you could see the service. You can go sit back there. First time at church, we get put in a box. <laughs> they, knew, they must have knew we were trouble or something, you know, I mean. But anyways, we, we, we go uh, back there and, and, and we said, you know what? We don't want to sit. We, let's experience service. So we just got out of the box. And we, uh, we went and sat in the service, and oh boy, did I wish we wouldn't have done that. Because all of a sudden, the pastor, who's that back there? Will you guys stand up for everybody to see? Oh, yay, here we are. And our baby starts crying, wee, wee. and we're getting some ugly looks of some ladies turn around, why can't she just go back in that box back there with that baby? I mean, it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my life. It was, it was embarrassing. It was frustrating. It was just, and, and, and let me tell you, that negative experience that I had at this church made me a little cautious going to the next one. Because the next time I went to another church to go visit, guess what? The negative experience had altered my perspective. And so I'm going, oh boy, what's this one going to do? And that's how things work sometimes. And that's why it's so important, folks. That's why it's so important that what we do, we do with excellence. Amen? Because we don't want to give that negative impression to someone as a church or in our life or as Christians. Because people have heard it. They've seen it. They've heard the negativity. They've heard the gossip. They've heard the backbiting. They've seen the phonies. They've seen the two-faced. They've seen all this stuff. And we have to sharpen ourselves and be people of excellence so we can redefine someone's perspective so they can get hope again. Amen. You see, when we do those things, whenever we begin to sharpen ourselves, whenever we begin to sharpen what we do as a church, whenever we begin to sharpen ourselves as men and women of God, we begin to help redefine in someone's mind from a negative experience what a real Christian should be and what a real church should look like. 
A church full of love. A church full of people that care about one another. A church full of people who are willing to help and go the extra mile. A church who is full of people that are willing to step outside of their comfort zone and go introduce themselves to someone or to say, can I help you? Or I see you have children. Can I show you what we have here for your kids? Or can I help you in any way? You see, whenever we step up and we begin to exemplify that excellence, we're showing the people, number one, that what we're doing here is valuable. And we're also showing them that they're valuable. You see, people have this perspective of why should I go to church? Why should I listen to a preacher? They're all crooks and liars anyways. And I've been hurt by a preacher. I've been hurt by a pastor. I've been hurt by a church in the past. All the Christians I ever see, they just complain about their churches anyways. Why would I even want to be a part and get involved in that? You see, a lot of these negative experiences, these negative things people have heard, they've shaped perception. Not just of church, but of Christians in general. Are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? That you see, by the, by the way we conduct ourselves, it's not just about how we act in here on Sunday morning. Because, boy, brother, let me tell you, we can, we can show sure be spiritual up in here. <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And we can act spiritual in here, and we can act all nice to each other here. But when we go out in the world, we start acting goofy. And we start treating each other bad and we start mouthing off to our boss and we start gossiping about so-and-so and our co-workers see that and they're not Christians and, and they see how we're living our lives and they're going, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. See, we're not living our lives with that excellence, with that valuable quality. We can put it on in here, but what about to a world that's looking for hope and truth? Amen? Those negative experiences can alter perspective. And you and I carry responsibility as an ambassador of Christ to show the valuable quality that Christ carries. You see, even good Christian people, they get hurt. And here's what they do. And this is the saddest part. Whenever good folks get hurt, they just accept good enough. And you've heard me talk about good enough before. They accept good enough. In other words, they never expect better. They just accept good enough. Just like you know that whenever you go up to the drive-thru that your burger ain't going to look nothing like the picture or the commercial. You don't even try to imagine that your hamburger is going to look like that, that juicy beef of, you know, it's a quarter pound, boom, and the burger just makes the TV shake, and you're like, I want that. You know you're not getting that. You know those golden delicious fries that, you know, when you get them, they're going to taste like rubber. And they're all just, have, they're just glistening and everything just looks so wonderful. You know, you know you're not going to get that. Why? Because you've accepted it. You've accepted it because of your experiences. Your experience has changed your expectation. You have allowed your experience to alter what you expect. And so you don't even expect excellence. You don't expect excellence from a lot of those restaurants. Let, let me tell you. I want to tell you a story. McDonald's. Jesus help us. And when we lived in Arkansas, that McDonald's was the worst McDonald's in the history of McDonald's. I mean, let me tell you something. This is, I've got so many stories, I'm just searching for the right one to share this morning. I mean, I could just, I could just have a conversation with you about this McDonald's. Uh, oh, let's, I'll, I'll tell you this one. Okay, so one time, my wife and I go through the drive-thru, and they have uh, a dollar sweet tea. You know, and people in the South, we like sweet tea. That means sugar. 
Uh, amen. That, that, that don't mean hot tea that we sip. That doesn't mean unsweet tea that we pour pink stuff in. That means at least three-fourths sugar, you know, one-fourth tea. And so, uh, and we like it on ice, in a glass, get over it. And so I wanted sweet tea, and they had it for a dollar. Now, that's a good deal. So I told them, my wife says, what do you want? She ordered her thing, and I said, I want a sweet tea. And it shows up 169 169 a dollar. And I didn't catch it until we had already passed. I said, did that say a dollar? It said dollar sixty-nine on that thing. And so when we got up to the window, I told the lady, I said, it says on the sign that the sweet tea is a dollar. Why not get charged a dollar sixty-nine? Did I not order the right size? And she said, well, what did you order? I said, I ordered a large sweet tea. I said, what size is the dollar one? She said, oh, it's a large. <laughs> I said, then why am I being charged a dollar sixty-nine? She said, because you didn't say Mickey D's sweet tea. You ordered a large sweet tea instead of a Mickey D sweet tea. <laughs> Give me my 69 cent back, woman. <laughs> Mickey D sweet tea. <laughs> Paul said he has a thorn in the flesh. McDonald's is my thorn in the flesh. <laughs> but here's the deal. I never expect excellence out of that McDonald's because of experiences. I know when I go there, I'm going to get poor service to this particular one. Uh, And I'm not saying they're all like that. Actually, we have a pretty decent McDonald's here, um, the one that I've been to. But, um, but, you know, I, I don't expect it. If we continually present negative situations to people and we continually present ourselves as not having this positive perception of who Christ is and what a believer should be and how we should act and how we should even act as a representative of Christ and remember you're a representative of Word of Grace Church that we begin to give this perception that's negative whenever we don't conduct ourselves in a way that would actually help people's view of church, help people's view of God, help people's view of what a Christian should be. So you and I have a responsibility to help redefine for other people what it should be. Amen? Amen. So What do we do whenever our emotions and our experiences, whenever they conflict with the truth? What do we do with that conflict? Whenever our emotions and our experiences conflict with the truth, how do we even handle this? Well, let me show you here in the Word of God in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Romans 8 and 12. says, therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I want you to understand something here. He talks about this flesh stuff. Therefore, brethren, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He said, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you're going to put to death the deeds of the body, and you're going to live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, I want you to understand. So before we talk about that, I just want to lay a quick foundation for you because I don't know if you have this basic understanding here, but he talks about this flesh. I want you to understand something, that man is made up of three parts. Whenever God created man, okay, we have our, we have our spirit, we have our soul, and we have our body. 
Okay, I want you to understand this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Bible says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, spirit, soul, and body. He talks about our spirit, our soul, and body. So what does that mean? Because he's talking about this flesh over here. I want to understand what he's talking about. Now, I want you to understand when the Bible's talking about spirit, he's talking about the part of you that was made new whenever you became saved. Okay? That's the part of us that's connected to God. That's the part of us that's going to go to heaven whenever we die. Now, the, the, the soul that the Bible's talking about here is talking about our mind, our will, our emotions, our reasoning. So that's that soulish area. But then he uses the word flesh. He uses that word body. And I looked this word up in the Greek, and it's this word sarkikos. Say that with me. That's fun. Sarkikos. Yeah, that's very fun to say. But often, listen, listen. Every time that this word flesh is used here in Romans chapter 8, he's talking about this word sarkikos, and it's not talking about human skin, so don't get gross. Not talking about human skin here. He's talking to this carnal, animalistic nature, this flesh nature. That is what he's referring to here. This corrupt human nature, it's only after the satisfaction of its own lusts, okay? That's what this is talking about here. So now with that being said, Let's go back and, and let's reread that so we can get a better understanding of Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. It said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, to that animalistic nature, to that selfish nature that only wants to satisfy its own lust. It says we're not supposed to live to that because if we live according to that nature, then we're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you're going to live. It says for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that recreated part of us, that part that's connected with Christ, said those are the sons of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, that the Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth, okay? And then in the Bible here in Hebrews chapter 4, let me show you this very familiar scripture that may, you may gain a little bit of ground and more understanding on. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints of marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that the word of God is like a sword and it divides. It's dividing what? It said it's dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Let's look at this. If the word of God divides and separates logic and reasoning and feeling from the truth, because the Spirit of God is always truth. Are you getting this this morning? He's always truth. He's always absolute. And whenever His truth is on the inside of us, whenever His Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, and He's made us new, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, when we're new creations in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new, that all things that He's talking about is here in our spirit, man, who we are in Christ, who we are that is hidden in Christ. That's that recreated portion of us that He has made us new and he's made us conformed in that image of his son as that spirit nature that he's made us into. But we still got to deal with the flesh. And we still got to deal with this reasoning and this, this, these feelings and these thoughts and all these things in the soulish realm also. But where is the dividing point whenever I'm conflicted? Whenever I'm conflicted with my experiences, whenever I'm conflicted with my emotions, what do I do? How do I divide that? The Bible says it's very simple. The word of God is the absolute truth that divides between your soul and your spirit. It divides between what you think is right, what you reason is right, and what is right. 
You see, a lot of times, you and I will sit back and try to rationalize God and fix him and try to, try to fit him into our reasoning. We try to fit God into what works in our mind. Because we'll say these types of things that don't make any sense at all. We'll go, you know, that, that just doesn't make sense to me how God couldn't, you know, how God could do this and how this could happen. And so we try to figure it out and we try to make it happen. Well, you know, I know that the Bible says this, but that, you know, that just doesn't really feel right. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. If the word of God says it, boom, that's it. Drop the gavel, boom. Let me say that slow so I can say it some more. I said, whenever the Word of God says it, boom, it drops the gavel. That's it. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It's not like our opinion matters when it comes to the Word of God. Because if God has said it, that settles it. Amen? If he said, this is right, then it's right. If he said, this is wrong, then it's wrong. If he says, this is how I'm commanding you to live, and these are the things I want you to do, then that's what we need to do. If he's telling us we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, we're supposed to be representatives of him in the earth, there's nothing else to it. That's what he means, amen? Amen. And we've got to take God seriously. Because that's the beginning of wisdom, that foundation of the fear of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that basically means to take God seriously. That means if he said it, that's it. That settles it. And if we can't come to the place where we believe that, then everything that we have chosen to believe as Christians is all based on theory and opinion. And that's not a solid foundation. Amen, somebody. I don't want to believe in a God that's just a theory or that's just someone else's opinion. I want to believe in something that's solid, that's forever settled and forever true. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need to get this. That You've you got to understand, the Word of God, the truth, divides and separates logic, reasoning, and feeling from the truth. So I'd better go with the truth and not my feelings. So whenever my feelings and my thoughts and my rationale wants to conflict with the truth, I had better side with the truth. And here's the thing. People are drawn towards excellence because excellence and integrity reflect the truth. I said people are drawn towards excellence because excellence and integrity reflect the truth. You see, whenever you begin to live your life, as a life of excellence, you begin to allow your thoughts and your reasonings to be separated from what the truth of the Word of God says and you allow that to rule, then you're going to begin to reflect that excellent quality, that valuable quality of God in your everyday life. And people are going to be drawn to that. People are going to be drawn to a church that can live a life that reflects truth. Let me tell you, people that need hope and need Jesus are going to be drawn to people that reflect that truth and that excellence. Why do you think people were, were drawn to Jesus? Did he just put a spell on them? Was he magical? No, no, no. You got to understand, we got to get this idea of, of, of Jesus being all starry-eyed. We, we got to get that out of our heads. You see, a lot of people, the, the, the biggest thing that people couldn't get past with Jesus was that he was a man. That was the biggest thing people couldn't get past. He, and he wasn't, he, he, he wasn't coming the way they thought he would come. He wasn't he wasn't exactly how they thought he should be. They were trying to make him be what they wanted 
him to be. They thought he was supposed to come as a warrior and, and he was supposed to come and, 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 and just relieve them from that Roman oppression and he was supposed to come in with a sword and instead he came in through a stable and, uh, you know, it, it just was all wrong in their heads. You see, we've got to get this idea out of our heads that Jesus was just this starry-eyed guy. They had to believe in him and trust in him just like you and I have to believe in him and trust in him today. You know that? And we trust him because we know he's true. We know that his words are words of life, but people were drawn to him. They were drawn to him, why? Because he displayed the excellence of God. He displayed that excellent quality of God. He was showing them what God looked like in human form. He was showing them how it was supposed to be. He was showing them how they were to live their lives. He was teaching them and showing them and demonstrating for them how you and I are supposed to live our lives. You see, a true ambassador is going to reflect the valuable quality of the one they represent. A true ambassador is going to reflect that valuable quality. People are drawn towards excellence, and that shows. Because here's the thing that I want us to get, and this is your last point today. I want you to write this down. Excellence is reflected and shown in the what? In the what? In the details. Excellence is reflected and shown in the details. Any of you guys remember uh, Eddie Van Halen? Jump. Dun, dun, right? Go ahead, jump. All right, I won't ever do that again, I promise. Well, <laughs> I'll just let that one clap be the only one there. Okay. Eddie Van Halen, he designed this killer guitar, and it was just absolutely incredible. And uh, he, he later uh, sold his design to another company, and, and man, this guitar was sharp, and it was a PV Wolfgang. I don't know if you've ever heard of that guitar before, but man, it's a high-dollar guitar. No way I could have afforded it, thousands of dollars. It was an incredible guitar, but guess what? There was a version of that guitar that was called OLP, and it was $200. I could afford that. Guess what? It looked just like it. I mean, the body shape was the same. The pickups looked the same. The neck looked the same. But guess what? When you plug that sucker in, it didn't sound like a $3,000 Wolfgang guitar. Didn't sound like a Wolfgang, but it looked like it. You see, it actually had a photo finish on it where they took a picture of that really nice tiger stripe maple and they put a picture of it on, then they laminated it. <laughs> I mean, this was a cheap guitar. The, it felt cheap that it wouldn't stay in tune, but it was just a $200 knockoff of the real deal. Well, if, if it looks the same, then it must be the same. No, 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 no. The difference was in the details. The difference was in the things you couldn't see. The difference was in the, the types of tuners that were used and the types of pickups that were used, the type of electronics that were used, the types of hardware. Now, if you just looked at it from the outside, put them side by side, you may not be able to tell the difference. But once you pick it up and play it and feel it, you can tell the difference. You see, the difference is in the details. Excellence is reflected and shown in the details. So that means that what you and I do in our lives and what you and I do here at Word of Grace, every detail matters and is important. Amen? As we're embarking on this new season that God has for us, as we're stepping out of our comfort zone and we're stepping into a new season, let me tell you, we need to sharpen up on the details because they matter. Anybody can make something look like 
it's going right. Anybody can make something look like you got something going on. You can have the facade of it. You can have it just sitting right there beside something that's real, and you may not be able to tell the difference. But whenever you get in there and experience it, you know something's different. You can say you love, and you can say you love just like the other preacher that says he loves over at his church, and that the other Christian that says they're all about loving people and serving God, and, and, and I mean, loving God, loving people, and serving the world. You, you can hear that all day long. You can have another preacher down the road say the exact same thing, but the difference is going to be in the experience, in the encounter. Does it really have the, 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 the real stuff? Is it the real thing, or is it just the cheap knockoff that just looks like the real thing so we can either say we're about these things we're about excellence we're about loving people we're about serving god we're about doing for others we're about giving of ourselves we're about the details and being men and women of excellence and being a church of excellence we can just say those things or we can say those things and step up and do those things amen somebody you see we need to reflect the excellence and integrity of god's word the truth as ambassadors, as representatives of Christ. That is the starting place for us to begin to help people to get a new perspective, a new definition of what the truth is, a new perspective, a new definition of what church should be and could be, a new definition of what Christians could and should be. You see, when people see something more, when they see something real, when they see something genuine, something authentic, something valuable, something that matters, something that's excellent, they're going to be drawn towards it. Now, does that mean we're going to get everything that we do absolutely perfect? No. Does that mean that we're going to quit trying, though? No. We don't quit trying. So, yeah, there may be times where we're trying to do things as a church or something may happen or something we may mess up or we may have miscommunication. But let me tell you, that doesn't mean we go, oh, well, that didn't go like we thought it should have went, so let's not ever do that again. No, no, no. We're going to pick ourselves up because excellence is in the details. We were practicing this morning for our worship set, and we hit one of those songs just right. We went through the whole thing, and it felt good. It sounded good. And as soon as it was over, I looked at the worship team, and I said, they knew what I was going to say. I said, let's do it again. You don't just go, oh, yay, that went well. Let's celebrate there. We go, no, let's keep bettering ourselves, striving for excellence, being people of excellence. Amen, somebody? Let's help redefine the world's perception of God, Christians, and the church by doing our part, by being people of excellence and people of integrity. Because we're called to love God, love people, and serve the world with an attitude of excellence. We are ambassadors of Christ, reflecting His excellence and integrity in our lives and in our church. Because where we're going as a church, good enough can't go. Amen? I said where we're going as a church, good enough can't go. Not even allowed to go. So whenever we go, eh, that's good enough, uh-uh, can't go. Because God's calling us to be people of excellence. People of integrity that show what's valuable, show what's important. God's calling us to take it to a whole new level this new season. So let's do what we do with the right attitude, with the right heart, and with excellence because it matters. Do you believe it matters this morning? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask you today if you're here, you've heard us talking about Jesus, you've heard us talking about 
all of these things of living our lives with excellence and being a church, being people of excellence. And you know the whole time that I've been speaking this morning that something's missing in your own life. And that's that right relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know where everyone in this room is at, but I do know that Jesus is the answer for whatever situation you may be going through. If you may say, Pastor, I don't really know Jesus. Or maybe you can say, Pastor, I've said a prayer before, but I haven't been living my life like a true follower of Jesus. And I really want to just make a fresh commitment to him today. If you're here in this place, and that applies to you, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything weird. I just want you to just let me know that you're here by putting your hand up and just putting it right back down. Just let me know you're here. I see that hand. I see that hand. see that hand. Anybody else in this room? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, would you say this prayer with me this morning? Jesus, I want to live for you with everything in my heart, holding nothing back. I want to be a person of excellence to serve you in a way that would please you. I want to give you my heart today. Not just pieces, but everything. I give you myself completely. And I declare you're my Lord. You're my Savior. And I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I receive you into my heart today. And I'm never going to be the same from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer today, I believe that it's a new season for you.